The views and opinions expressed by the producers, hosts, and guests of Flash Black Radio do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Flash Black or its parent company. Listener discretion is advised. Are we recording? No, we but are. we should. Oh, we are? Yeah, yeah. Did we do an introduction? Well, we're about to. Oh. Well, go ahead then, sir. Hi, folks. This is Shit You Might Have Missed on Flash Black Radio. Bringing in the show today is T Rich. Hey. Here in the fake studio with me is. It's a real studio. Hmm. Okay. Da Vinci Parks, AKA Lee Bennett III. Coming to you live from somewhere <laughs> is. Hey, Savage, and I'm going to have to say, we're going to treat it like, you know, a school cafeteria slash gymnasium, and it is a multi-purpose one. What do they call it? A gym, gym cafe-gymtorium or something like that? Cafetorium? I, I heard multi-purpose room, but yeah, okay. I think they used to call it a cafetorium. Oh, wow. That, that's, you know, maybe that's I think southern. that's about right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's me. That's southern. I've never heard that one. I've heard mm-hmm. multi-purpose room. You eat in front of the stage. Multi-purpose room. Yeah. <laughs> You eat in front of the stage, you have like pre- presentations and assemblies there. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you do like indoor gym when it's raining outside. Yeah, you have like science fair projects in mm-hmm. there, whatever. You know, culture mm-hmm. fairs, you know. All yeah. of that. And also PTA meetings and stuff like that and hold elections and shit, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the whole nine. Multi-purpose room. So I think was- what we're going to do is because we were having a pre-conversation. As about, we often do. Yeah. Um, but we want to, I want to continue on the momentum. So we were talking about the, the Khalees interview where she revealed how much of a trash ass human, like he's a literal trash bag, Nas. So the little clips that you may have seen kind of describing what the interview was, um, like in one little clip she was saying how he was very physically and verbally abusive and when the whole thing with Rihanna and Chris Brown came out she was like you know do I you know she said something like um I was treating him like double dutch like do I jump in do I say something because I had bruises, bruises all, all over, over my body. body at that time but then I was just like I'm not ready to leave but she goes on the interview was like an hour and 15 minutes and she mm. goes on to describe how he is emotionally abusive, physically abusive. And she was, you know, she was honest. She was like, you know, no lies. I I threw some punches too. I threw some blows. I wasn't just like sitting there getting beat. So we were both going back and forth. We had really intense highs and really intense lows. And we would like, you know, spend money, party hard, drink hard, smoke hard. And she was talking about how he let the house go into foreclosure. And when she asked him about it, he basically told her to go fuck herself. Um, how he's just like a trash ass dad. Just an all around actual so living two trash birthday dad. parties. Two in birthday nine parties years. in nine years. So, hey, wow, he's nine years old already? Yeah. Wow. So, and she started off by saying, like, Sorry, people are always like, you know, you and Nas should get back together. She's like, have you thought about your horrible ex? Do you want to be back together with him? Well, and then not only that, like, did anybody ever ask how bad does it have to be for you to be seven months pregnant and be like, you know what? I got to get the fuck up out of here. 
Most people I know who have left any relationship very pregnant has been on some shit like, yeah, I need a grown up around this joint. You are not one. You will be the death of us all. I got to get the fuck up out of here. And I just I, I always knew that there had to be a story because no one ever left anywhere heavily pregnant. Like, yeah, let's start over right now. You know what I'm saying? That's usually when people mm-hmm. are settling into like, you know what I'm saying? I'm a nest over here. You know what I'm saying? We're going to paint this. We're going to buy that. So I knew there was more to the story, but I feel like um, my issue, of course, is with all the articles and I read the comment section and I just feel like for everyone who hasn't watched the interview and is like, oh, why now? I feel like even in her talking about what was going on, she was still trying to protect them. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? She wasn't actually really descriptive of anything. I'm mm-hmm. sure that there is a couple of incidents that still Very to this vivid. day just really are vivid and stick out in her mind as like this is a no fault situation. Like that this totally came out of left field. And I feel like even in how she kept being adamant about, oh, I fought back or, you know what I'm saying? I wasn't we were weak. Intoxicated. Right. Or we were intoxicated together. Like, it's almost like she's trying to take on blame for the situation. And, you know what I'm saying? That she's like preempting what people are mm-hmm. going to, you know, already say about her. And I just feel like if you are covered from head to toe in bruises, you don't actually need to explain to anybody what the fuck you were doing. You know what I'm saying? As long as you were minding your damn business with your hands to yourself. I don't care if you told him his mama was some trash. Like the reality is that doesn't deserve a beating. So Mm -hmm. I feel like even in how she discusses it for anybody who's ever had any experience with victims of, you know, any kind of intimate partner violence, it's totally obvious that, you know, not only is she still traumatized, but on some level, there's still a a certain amount of fear, you know, that she still carries. Oh, her her. voice was kind of shaky. Okay. So, there are a couple things that I want to ask. One, um, because I'm, I'm keeping in consideration the audience who may not have heard all of what you have heard in terms of the interview. Mm-hmm. And also, to be fair, I've only heard the clip that T. Rich was just referencing. So I've heard pieces of it, mm-hmm. haven't heard the whole thing. It's sometimes when you know something's out there, just kind of like... You got to be in the right space to hear it. I don't think I, I personally just was not in the right space to hear it. So I chose not to listen to it at the time. I do plan to listen to it. So a couple of questions I want to ask. One, do you think that she was, and, and again, I'm asking both of you. Do you think that she was one, um, phrasing things in a, in a, in a, in a particular way to, to a certain extent, you know, claim accountability for what she thought she was accountable for, because there are times like the, what, what I did hear, like the again, I heard like two clips. So one, she was talking about how they 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 had highs and lows, partied hard, and she said we were young. She said she was twenty two at the time, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I think you know there is a certain recognition from what I was hearing in that limited space uh, to say that okay, I was twenty two, I one didn't know what to like, you know you know, how to be in a relationship or what to expect or, you know, these type of things. So do you think there's also an acknowledgement in, 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 in being accountable for that? I think it's like Christy said, like, 
I think she was kind of phrasing some things in a way because, you know, motherfuckers going to come out and be like, oh, well, what did you do? What role did you play in it? Or, you know, we heard you put your hands on him, too, or or whatever. Um, and she she was very clear in saying, like, you know, for whatever reason, like, you know, I stayed because we were married. We weren't just dating. This was my husband. This was my there are person. There a lot of people who think like that, yeah. Is a, is a different. There's a different mentality for a lot. Not all. And I'm not. I'm not even about to get into yeah. the whole conversation of why she or anybody else who's in an intimate partner relationship stays right. because there are a number of different reasons. Um, and I'm not going down that path at all. That road is closed. Right. Yeah. Same here. But I also think that like um, we. <laughs> We don't really talk about, you know, how people never really recover from these things, you know. And so even just talking about it, you could see that she was reliving it. And I think that, like, she shares a child with this man. So mm-hmm. I think that a lot of it is even less about the lawsuit and more about the fact that because one of the things that, Wait, you know. a lawsuit? Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons why she actually, I feel like, was talking is because so, you know, they had settled this custody agreement that they had. But this incident, if if you kind of are paying attention, it it feels like there's an incident that happened after the agreement was settled that happened around Easter where he came to pick up. they, They don't have Easter in their agreement because he doesn't celebrate Easter. Mm-hmm. And she does. And so she was saying how her mother called her to tell her on a Friday that she was on her way up. She had this event going on, you know, so she was busy and she hadn't paid attention to the fact that it was Easter weekend. It was actually his weekend to have their son. She called him and was asking if it would be all right if she could just drop him off on Saturday evening. And that way they could spend, you know, uh, Easter together, her and her family, because apparently her mother doesn't live wherever they live. And Mm -hmm. so she didn't want her mother to have come into town and not have seen her son. And so um, just from what I can piece together from what she said, because it's not necessarily chronologically given, but um, it sounds like he showed up, couldn't, you know, agree to drop the boy off. The boy hadn't gone out to the car with his things. He pulls off in a huff, doesn't come back, doesn't call, you know what I'm saying? So boy ends up being with her. And I think one of the reasons why she spoke out is because she's probably preparing herself for the filing that is to come, which is that, oh, you breached this agreement. Okay. Um, and so she also gave, you know, a history of the lawsuit, which is basically that, you know, he filed this lawsuit, you know, in like on some petty shit. You know, like and just from what she said, again, because a lot of it you kind of have to infer. She doesn't really go all into it. But I think that he kind of came back on the scene, you know, and wanted to have, you know, more of a presence or whatever the case may be. And she was saying you can't be absent and come in here and want to change everybody's schedule up. So, Mm -hmm. like, the reality is you can't be absent and come in and want to. A, have any kind of real disciplining authority, like you can discipline on your time, but like unless the kid does something really egregious, you're not going to come into my house and tell me how to discipline my kid. You're not going to tell me what his routine should be. You're not going to tell me where he should go to school. You're not going to do none of that because you don't even pay, you barely pay child support. 
and you're not actually a presence. And I feel like in cases like people who have actual money, like if you don't pay child support, then you don't get to have a say in anything. If you are barely surviving, you know what I'm saying? Child support is something that you may not actually be able to give. You know what I'm saying? Some people may not be able to process that, but if you are barely living, you know what I'm saying, then there may not actually be any money to support the children you have. But that doesn't mean that you can't be a physical presence. But the reality is if you have money and you don't have no money to give and you don't have time to give, you don't have shit to say. Nope. You and, and I feel like I know enough people, my father included, who you, you have enough of a presence just to be a problem. Like you, you get you, the woman allows you enough of a, an opinion just to make life difficult. Like she's trying to be courteous. She's trying to allow you to be in this child's life and she's trying to not totally emasculate or, you know, like take all of your authority as a parent away. But you know what I'm saying? You don't actually have anything to contribute to the situation, but a whole bunch of opinions of why you don't want this to go on. And I feel mm-hmm. like, you know what I'm saying, based <clears throat> on my own experiences and what she was saying, there was probably a lot of that going on, you know, which is you, you ain't been around. You don't got nothing to contribute, but you got a problem with everything going on here. Like, how does that work? So um, I, I guess another question I have, and um, I'm, I pretty much think I know the answer, but I still think I should ask it. And that would be... Um, do we feel like this is one of those like statements where we say or situations where we say where there are three sides to a story? There's her side, not his saying side, that either. and 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 then there's the truth. So like, I'm not I, saying that either. I'm not going to sit here and get into this whole like, well, maybe Kalisa's lying or maybe Kalisa's exaggerating. Um, no, that, I, I don't care who don't like it. I'm not saying there's three sides to a story. And and I feel right. like that three sides to a story that, that that's a fucked up fallacy mm-hmm. that comes out of like couples therapy the reality is sometimes there actually is not two culpable parties in a situation i agree there is one party and everybody else reacting to that now that doesn't mean that their behavior is good but the other reality is there is no good reaction to the behavior Mm -hmm. that is being done to them i think the fallacy that comes out of couples therapy and as more and more people go into therapy that is a good thing but the fallacy that comes out of that is that we both have to talk about what we contributed and the reality is everybody is not a contributor to the situation and sometimes and 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 sometimes even when people do contribute everybody's not an equal contributor to a situation mm-hmm. you okay. know so, you, I, I feel like that is also a part of her response when she was couching a lot of her responses well I did this or I did that or this is the part that I played you know we we have this 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 un true belief going on you know in our culture that there are actually two valid sides to every story and there are a lot of times when there are not two valid sides to Slavery. every story yeah so um i agree with you i just i, I just felt like it was One the bag. question that i should i should i should ask the question I, I, no. I, 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 as, no i mean as, as somebody as somebody who again i'm not I don't have as much intimate knowledge of of the interview, obviously. So mm-hmm. the questions I have, and I I want to be able to ask the questions in case, like you know, there are other people who don't know, like I don't know. So um, uh, an interesting point that one of you made earlier in terms of like uh, I think it was you, Christy, was saying like I don't think she's ever healed from the from what happened, and um, I thought it was interesting that you said that because when she was talking about the whole issue with Rihanna popping up. Um, last year there was a documentary on Chris Brown and Chris Brown recounted with remarkable detail 
like that fateful night between he and Rihanna in that car. I'm talking about the level of detail he had in terms of like what went on in that car. It made me uncomfortable. I was like, you remember this like vividly, sir. So if he remembers that vividly, I'm pretty sure. Like, and, and it could be also because emotions have scarring too. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, just think about like traumatic or emotional times. Like, do you remember where you were when 9-11 happened? Yes, of course. I remember exactly yeah. where I was. Mm-hmm. I remember exactly what I had for breakfast, mm-hmm. where I was going. I remember exactly where my car was when I heard it on the radio. Mm-hmm. And that was some something that did not directly impact mm-hmm. me. So if you can just imagine something that big on that mag that big that's personal. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you remember I remember what song was playing on the radio or and th- I'm just saying this like hypothetically, you know. Mm-hmm. You remember what song was playing on the radio, what you know, what pair of pants you had on, what shoes you had on, where you were going, what mm-hmm. you had for dinner, or um who you spoke to last, or you remember all these kinds of things because like there's like this emotional imprint. Whereas you may not remember what you did last Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I, I just thought about that, how she was, how she referenced the whole Rihanna thing. And you said that like, she probably hasn't gotten it. She probably hasn't. It's probably like, you know, like a keloided emotional affair. So like she might've gone through and done the work to get through that or whatever, but she's can still look back and remember everything associated with what happened. Not saying that she's like, you know, like going to curl them into a ball or anything like that. I don't know. I'm just saying that. Um, it, it it sounds it sound it sounded you know it, it, like it, I, I yeah I I don't know I, I know people who've gone through abuse so but the other thing to remember here is that she also has a child with her abuser yeah a minor yeah. child which means so that even she if has she has that. gone through and done the work to start the healing process like it's you a reminder. yeah you get these constant reminders mm-hmm. because you well, you're and, like and then, introduced to this person repeatedly. Mm-hmm. And then she talked about, you know, it was emotional abuse. It was verbal mm-hmm. abuse. The reality is she still got to have phone calls with him. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that most of them are not the most pleasant thing that she does. And I'm sure that it takes a whole lot of mental preparation to be like, oh, I got to call this nigga and have this conversation. And he, and I already know it's not going to go well because I already know he not going to like, you know what I'm saying, how it goes. And then the other reality is even if it goes well. Does that mean that there won't be some kind of backlash? Does that mean that he won't have, you know what I'm saying, a moment that you don't even witness, you know what I'm saying, 24 hours, 15 minutes later, you know what I'm saying, that makes him want to be petty and vindictive because you're the person who he can take his frustration out on? I mean, I don't, I don't think people, like, like th- th- that's, that's just re-traumatization, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, all of the time. Because also Carmen, his, his first... Baby's mother said that she he was abusive to her, mm. and I was I'm, I have no proof of the statement I'm about to say I'm about to say it's just you know a question because you know Nikki Minaj was dating him for a while mm-hmm. and uh. then she just kind of dropped out of everything out of public sight mm. off of Twitter the Instagrams all of that mm. so mm. I was like hmm and popped up in rehab mm-hmm. mm. so I was just you know just just a question just yeah. wondering I don't know. Yeah, and, and Making what, no what what I what I want to say also struck me again. I have not listened to the interview, but what did strike me um, when I started to hear like you know people start to you know it started to make its rounds, people were starting to react to it. What I remember vividly is when this initially first went down, people looked at her like she had 
Mm-hmm. She had run afoul, and he was the victim, and he was sitting on the cover with the with the wedding dress, and you know, like the songs weren't accusatory in nature, like you know, a lot of the material, whatever. It's just like you know, like people had comments about him, like choosing to go out with her, or whatever. It's like, yo, better to love a loss than not have loved at all, and. You know, it was a lot. It talks about relationship shit, but it didn't really go into detail about what happened. So it's just like you know, it's like, oh, like she heard him, and you know, this type of deal or whatever. So it's 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 interesting to now get all this information. Later. Yeah, when she started, she was like, you know, I have been editing myself for years, and I'm just not going to do it in this interview. I just had this realization today that I'm not going enter- to I'm not going to edit myself in this interview. Okay. Uh, and w- so, and you can kind of yeah. tell from the way that the interview was going mm-hmm. that the interviewer, and I'm sorry, I can't recall his name, that he was not prepared to get the information that he was getting because his questions were like, there was a little and like. His face the whole time was like, oh, uh, whoa, this is tea. I was not like, I, I, I thought we was going to come talk out Talk about here. your cookbook. Yeah, like do something <laughs> like, he was like, this came out here with some heavy came ass Came out shit. here wow. firing. Yeah, he was not, he was definitely not prepared. But but I feel like it's almost like a Yoko and John Lennon situation. Like everybody made all of these assumptions about Yoko Ono. You know what I'm saying? And it wasn't until after. But it's also John- the band members. Weren't, weren't the band members also not fans of her and saying that she was very divisive? So Yeah, just- but, 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 but it's also, because, well, yes, but that on. When it all came out, she, like like that, one of the reasons why they thought she was divisive is because she was always with him. She would go to the bathroom with him, oh, and they thought that that was her being obsessed with him. Sounds when really she had been beaten into submission and had been properly trained, and she wasn't allowed to be without him. And I think that if we understand the history of his band members, they're all fucking each other's wives. You know what I'm saying? Eric Clapton and what's his name? Uh, Harrison, you know what I'm saying? Both actually had the same wife in common. You know what I'm saying? And both wrote great love songs about this woman. So there's all of this stuff that's going on in this rock and roll free love world. John Lennon, you know what I'm saying? Is super possessive, super jealous, you know what I'm saying? Super obsessed with her. But from the outside looking in, it looks like she is the one, you know what I'm saying, who's causing all of the drama. But that's because we don't know what's going on in their personal life. Mm. And I feel like a lot of the stuff that is said about Khalees, you know what I'm saying, is all based on what has been put out there. None of it by her, all mm-hmm. of it, you know what I'm saying, in defense of him or to make him look better in a situation. And I feel like we actually have to like think about that. You know what I'm saying? Like and like Yoko Ono, she was an independent woman who had a career before him and her career was, you know, being an agent provocateur, you know what I'm saying? She was doing stuff that was controversial. It was, you know what I'm saying? Totally not maybe, you know, completely revolutionary, but it was very, you know, like I am a sexual being and you know what I'm saying? I have a vagina and I don't give a fuck about it. And this is not penis envy. Like it was just very much in the same way that Khalees was an artist, you know what I'm saying? Who had put out her own content and it was very feminist in nature 
Yoko Ono was the same way. And ultimately, these are two women who were in abusive relationships. They both did their best to protect these men that they loved and had children with. And ultimately, their reputations are the ones that are the worst for the wear. So just like 10 years later, people are saying, oh, you should either get back with Nas or, Mm -hmm. oh, she's the devil. 50, 60 years later, people are saying about Yoko Ono, oh my gosh, she killed the Beatles, or oh my gosh, she was so horrible, but we are choosing to ignore the fact that, you know what I'm saying, these men were totally abusive to these women and really fucked up fathers to their sons. Which is why I asked that question. Thank you. Very, very, very apropos. Thank you. Um, Yeah, so, I mean... I, I apparently have to listen to this interview or watch it. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to watch it tonight. It's like, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty it. long, but it's, it's no, watch worth it, it at like noon or something like that on a sunny day when you can go out and do something afterwards. Because yeah. I think, you know, I was. I was just sad. I wasn't surprised. I wasn't yeah, shocked. Yeah, when you said that, I was like, "Wow!" Like, like for Chrissy to write, I was like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm gonna take a beat on that one." Come I was back just to sad. It. Um, and I think what made me sad is that when you li- if you go if you listen to Illmatic, you can actually hear all of the behaviors that she's talking about. Now that's a challenge. Your okay. favorite artist is trash. <laughs> all our favorite artists are trash. I'm yeah, about all they eat, well, a lot of them between like being like abusive or rapists or you know MAGA hat wearers or Candace Owens supporters. Or Canadians who claim they don't know shit about like American politics and racism, but they want to like throw their conversation, throw their voice into the conversation. I mean, like Chance the Rapper kind of almost stepped into some shit, and then he was like, "No, no, 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 no." I was just saying Kanye's good. He's not crazy. I talked to him. That's all I'm saying. I'm not. I don't support Donald Trump. He's not my friend. I don't know him. We don't have play dates. Well, well, people also to very quickly. People also. like they latched on to that one like Twitter uh post where he said like black people don't have to be Democrats. But there's a Twitter post that follow after that and say, you know, the next president of the United States will be independent. No, he the, the kind of the thing that spun out was he somebody was saying something about um, you know, Kanye, have you spoke to Chance? And he wrote a Twitter post saying, like, yeah, I spoke to him. He's not crazy, he's good. I think he might have alluded to like he's like college dropout Kanye. And Donald Trump then put a post up like, yes, Chance the Rapper gets it. And Chance Uh-oh. was like, oh, my fault, yo. That was the title of his like Twitter post, like, my fault, my fault, yo. And then he put like this whole like, you know, Twitter press release. Like people do like, nope, I'm sorry. I don't rock with yeah. you. All I was saying was I was just trying to support my brother. I don't agree with his beliefs. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with anybody who's like spewing any racist rhetoric that goes that is completely converse to what I am trying to do with my brothers and sisters here in Chicago. So no, no, what you're not going to do is that. For me in that. Yeah. Chance and his brother Taylor from the interviews that I've seen with them are very like, you know, to be so young have a, and I think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that they had a a present father and their father's actually, you know, been in Chicago politics for a very long time, uh, was, you know, closely tied to president Obama, you know, Mm -hmm. in, in terms of his political runs and stuff like that. And I think a lot of it has rubbed off in terms of how they just navigate things uh, and how they how they how they look at things is like you know because at I saw an interview 
about a year and a year, year and a half ago with Taylor Bennett, which is which is Chance's young who is Chance's younger brother brother. Why am I stuck? I don't know. Uh who is Chance's younger brother? And um the insight he had at like 21 years old really resonated with me because I know at 21 years old I wasn't that comfortable in my own skin. You know, I was I was still learning how so I was impressed by that. But anyway, um yeah, chance 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 I thought I think probably saw the tea leaves and said, yeah, I don't want no part of that. Nope. Uh, T.I. has also said that, you know, he's hopeful that because he had, a, I think a lot of people are reaching out to Kanye between John Legend and, just, and Christy oh, T. I'm not here, but this is this, this another I don't really care, honestly. That's, that's got a whole bunch of just, it's out there-ness to be analyzed. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? I don't really like, care, honestly. And I don't want to talk more about Kanye, but go ahead. I, I actually feel like... the. the I need people to stop pretending like this is for marketing. I actually need people to really be talking about the fact that every time or the last two times a project has come out, he has completely lost his mind. And what it sounds like to me is that he is riding this creative manic wave and it totally spins out of control. And instead of everybody actually addressing the fact that like his medication is either not being taken, needs to be adjusted, like whatever is going on, this is a mental health issue. And so I feel like just like with football players and violence, I don't want to talk about the violence that they're doing, you know what I'm saying, to their intimate partners or the fucked up decisions that they make. I want to talk about head injuries and how that affects, you know what I'm saying, behavior. I don't want to talk about Kanye and Donald Trump. I want to talk about Kanye and mental illness and how if people keep pretending that this kind of erratic behavior is just motherfuckers seeking attention, then we are never going to get anywhere because this is actually the kind of behavior that ends in suicide or murder suicide because it just goes unchecked for so long. Hmm. So like that is the thing that disturbs me about this behavior. And, and, and even, you know, like the messages that people are sending him, I need people to say, take your meds, go to therapy. Speaking, I mean, kind of piggybacking off of that. um, Are you guys familiar with the DJ Avicii? Yes. Yeah. He, yes. Uh, he passed away recently. Yes. He, yes. Uh, yes. Wasn't he? he committed no. suicide recently. Okay. Like I heard. Yes. See, I, I I saw. Uh, okay. So on Amazon um, Prime, you have the whole Is that music. documentary. I didn't see the documentary, but they they, they had a whole thing like uh, uh, Avicii, and it had his. It's like it's a young looking dude, but it had like his um, birth year and death year. So, so he was so young. I was like, the guy was young as shit. Like, like he happened? was, but there was an article, and I think there's like a there's an accompanying documentary, I believe, where they filmed his life over the course of like eight years. Mm. Um, and there was an article. I can't remember if it was like Mike or Vulture or Viceland or what, but they were talking about like he started out really young when he was like seventeen, and mm-hmm. he had a shit manager. And people around him who were just like pushing him, pushing him, pushing him, like go out here, make this money. Cause you know, he got really big. Mm-hmm. And there was a point where he was like, I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. Can you cancel my shows? And they were like, nah, 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 you know, just go ahead and do it. And he was like, I don't want to do this. I'm so tired. And they were like, well, think about the money you're going to lose if you don't do this. He was like, I don't care. But the, the contract that he had, and I don't know if it was the same one, the initial contract he had, his manager, I think, was getting something like 50% of his earnings and like 20% of his touring or something. Of his touring? Yeah. Shit. And wow. 
you know, he was like, you know, That's trying to cancel. Show. He had like three shows he was trying to cancel, and they canceled two of them. And he was like, why can't you cancel this last one? I don't want to stay. I don't want to sit here and have to argue with him. I don't have the energy for it. And they just kept like pushing him and pushing him and pushing him, and he committed suicide. That's sad. And yes, sad. he was young. Yeah, I mean, I think. Um... The world, like for now, is way more connected, and it's 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 a it's a lot of places. There there are a lot of places you can go on this on this globe to get away and to do things. But at, at the end of the day, I don't like you know the amount of connectivity and access we have to other human beings is it's gone far beyond your 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 village or your province. It's like you know it's like you can go anywhere in the world now, and anybody in the world can know who you are. And I think that and the, still not know who you are, right? And I think that 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 has I think that can take a tremendous toll on the psyche. So doubling that back to Kanye a bit, um, from early accounts of people who've known Kanye for a long time, he was always confident, but I also feel like from what I hear, he had to kind of puff up his confidence, like he had to. You know, had to put some stuff underneath, prop himself up to make himself that way. Once I read an article that said that he said he saw music, I was like, "Oh, this is a mental health issue." No, there, there's actually there are people that like Pharrell says the same thing though. Oh, Tennessee, it's it's it's, it's, it's a thing. That's a thing. Synesthesia. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. And like that, and that's when I like I saw a documentary when he was talking about um, it was like on MTV. Uh, back when you know Method Man, back in the day, it was like you think you know, but you have no idea. That one, the My Life, or something like that. Oh, I they thought that have... was the real world. Nah, you think you know, but you have no idea. That's because Method Man was the first one who did that, and that's what he said. So they had everybody else say it after that. Uh-huh. So, but um, they had one with Kanye, and Kanye did the whole thing. And he was like, his mother was still alive, and she had a painting of his on the wall, which was a dope painting, by the way. Like he did it in high school, and he's like, "Yo, that's how I see it." Eight measure. You know what you call it, and he's like he get he started like beatboxing a little bit, like sounding like can you see that? And his friend was like, yeah, but you could tell, but like you could tell Kanye, you could see that. He's like that's how I see, that's how I, see. you know, I I don't see music, and I'm very much musically inclined, not instrumentation, but I really get into music. I don't see it though. I don't. I can I can see how words can fit into things, but the actual instrument, nah, I don't. That, I don't have that. Speaking about someone more interesting than Kanye, because I'm tired of talking about. <laughs> that's fine. Him. Let's switch. Um, did either of you read the article in the New Yorker that Juno Diaz did uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago? No. What was it about? So he was, um, it was basically about uh, his opening up about his sexual abuse when he was eight. He hmm. was raped um, two or three times by someone that he knew, like a family friend. And he was talking, and it does kind of tie in for a moment. Um, he was talking about one, he he never got any help for it and what it was like growing up um, as a Dominican man, mm, boy okay. in New York and like the struggles that he was having, trying to deal with this post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, he was having like all of these like recurring dreams of, of the incident and the ways that he was acting out and how it was manifesting itself. And so sometimes it would manifest itself as promiscuity mm-hmm. and sometimes it would manifest itself as frigidity. And he couldn't tell like if he would be able to have sex with a person when he was having, <laughs> until, until he was like right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would talk about like how he, you know, like fucked up 
a lot of his relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, several, you know, at least one suicide attempt and another, he was about to jump off a building and a friend like pulled him. And he was like well into adulthood before he was like, you know, let me go get some therapy and, you know, try to deal with these demons. Um, but it's written as a letter to someone who came to one of his book signings and um, some of the um, content of his writings talks about sexual abuse, but not from his own perspective. Mm-hmm. And the person that came to the the book signing was asking like, you know, you know, has this, is this something that's ever happened to you? And he said, he felt like the, the guy was asking, like looking for an ally or just someone to say like, you know, I understand. And he was like, you know, nah, but he was like, you know, I, I watched you and I watched you walk away and, you know, it's been like sitting with me and, you know, I wanted to come out and kind of expose myself. It's very well written. And I think it talks a lot about um, just some of the issues that can create some of these broken men of color Mm -hmm. that we probably don't always explore. Mm -hmm. We just think like, okay, you know, he's a fuck nigga or he ain't shit. Um, But what broke him? Who Mm -hmm. hurt you? Is Mm -hmm. a question that's not, you know, fairly asked because he was saying, he said himself, like, you know, I was, you know, one of the relationships he was in, he was like, you know, we're engaged. We bought a house together in Harlem. We had like friends and family. And he's like, the intimacy became too intimate Mm -hmm. and I couldn't do it. And I started cheating on her. And I came home one day and she just had like a stack of emails of like pictures um, me wooing people and setting up dates and all of this stuff, just like waiting for me. Mm. And um, adding on to the whole, like what broke them, I think there's also sometimes it's just like there aren't pieces that to the puzzle that should be put in place at a young age in terms of building that mm-hmm. that young man of color mm-hmm. or, or young woman. Um, I, I think sometimes there are missing pieces and we, you know, we, we get out into the world and like start coming of age, um, not knowing that those pieces aren't there. And then when, you know, life starts to happen and, you know, uh, relationships change or evolve or you change and evolve and life progresses, I think sometimes what happens is um, that absence causes a, like a, a, maybe a synaptic disconnect for lack of better terms. And it causes it causes you to kind of malfunction in certain regards of your life or certain. It's aspects. like you're trying to put the piece the puzzle together while you're making. Yeah, pieces. but you don't know you're missing something. So it's just like yeah, like like why it's like, and that's why sometimes people have these cyclical uh, responses to like you know things might not be always exactly what they were, but they're similar enough that you like you can look from the outside in. I have people I'm related to like yo, you should be able to figure this out. But like you know, there are pieces that they don't have within them. Or they don't know how to access and really, then it, it, it becomes a problem. And that's where, like, you know, brokenness can come from, too. So uh, that's, yeah. Uh, hmm. I agree. And can I piggyback on this with another controversial statement? Mm-hmm. Of course. So Bill Cosby, guilty. Thank God. But, um, yeah, I don't really think we should be putting 80-year-old men in jail. That's just how I feel, period. Um, I, I, first of all, I find jail to actually not be a constructive 
tool or institution or uh, it's not designed to be. I agree. It's not designed to be. It's not designed to be, but when we have communities that are over-incarcerated and we're dealing with the effects of that, I think we actually have to have real conversations about, you know what I'm saying, how productive jail is. But I also feel like that means we have to have real conversations about what justice is. You know what I'm saying? Our justice system right now is really just, you know, well, no, it is. But it's also codified revenge. And I feel like the problem with that is that, you know, jail is this place where, you know, a whole bunch of antisocial behaviors just fester and multiply. And we take people who are guilty of essentially being antisocial, you know what I'm saying, and put them in a situation where not only can they not reform, but we're almost guaranteed that they're going to come out more antisocial than when they went in. So. Can I, ask, can I ask something? Because you made this point last time or whatever, and I thought it was a very good point. It's a good point this time. I want to add on to that. There's also, especially if you watch the Khalif Browder thing, there's also another element in terms of the for people. Profit? Huh? Not, not the for-profit. Oh. That's a that's an element too. That's a layer. But there's an element with regard to the, how the district attorney approaches justice, how they how they oh, seek to yeah. like throw people away. There's that's definitely yeah, no, 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 I get no, but it's not always just for profit, it's also people's sense of justice. Because how they can how they can do Brock Turner, how he's not, you know, he's not, you know, we don't want to ruin his whole life because like he made one mistake in raping that girl or uh, the the uh, the kid, uh, the affluenza teen who murdered four people driving drunk at 16 years old. That's the whole thing. But there's yeah, right. also the element of the, the correctional officers and the warden and the, and, the, and the type of abuses that happen in a place where, OK, if people are here because they committed a crime. Why are you allowing these crimes to continue unchecked where a place where it's supposed to be order, law and order? And you're supposed to be law officers and they're the ones who sometimes, I can't say always, but there's definitely enough of a culture where that's promoted and actually like it's expected and it's, it's, it's provoked. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, right. people literally like know that somebody's going to get jumped or stabbed mm-hmm. in a situation and they make it, make it. Like, you know, their business to turn the other way or to provide the opportunity. Or I know people who have been who've been locked up or whatever, you know, people who are juveniles, actually, who have been locked up or whatever and said, like, you know, they've had to deal with people who are other juveniles. But they also had their ass beat by the COs Mm -hmm. because they didn't do what they was told to do when they were told to do it. So there there are a lot of things that that go into this. So it's so many layers. So I, I do agree, like, you know, in terms of like what you were saying, I just wanted to add. You know, from the judge to the DA, especially like the people who work within the jails, because especially when you talk about working with juveniles or whatever, I think honestly, and we've talked about this, a lot of this comes down to like counseling and like, you know, therapy and, you know, providing, you know, like a lot of these people don't have access to real like therapy. They don't have access to real medical care and treatment. And well, so. one thing that um, Illinois is doing, they just I think they just passed a law. Or they're in the process of trying to pass a law. I'm unclear on that. Where they are recommending replacing the security guards in schools with social workers mm-hmm. and providing the kids with, you know, access to counseling and therapy. Um, people in the social work community are on different sides of this, but yeah, that's just I mean, kind I of think it's a different approach. Point. Why not try something different? I think also, I think also, I mean, honestly, what it comes down to. Like there, there are so many factors, and Christy was hitting on one, and there's so many factors that lead into it. Like you know, she was saying for profit. 
there's a school to prison pipeline, whatever, where they start suspending kids at like pre-K and kindergarten. So those kids are already labeled and they already label themselves as being bad apples. And that's the expectation. There's a limited limitation of resources when you don't have like a certain amount of uh, financial taxation coming out of like specific counties and and, and was and Oklahoma. It was I think I was listening to Reed and Crystal Crystal was saying like in Oklahoma where she's from. Um I don't know if it was like a cousin or a friend or something was saying like the kids have to copy pages from the school books to share because they don't have enough books. Yeah, I believe it. I mean, and which is why they're striking. Yeah. And then like, you know, like the amount of resource, the idea that the government and I'm saying the government now because we have 45 in office. But the government is actually leading the charge on public education. Well, public education is honestly one of the chief things that separated this country from other countries for decades. It's what actually, like, you know, led people in opera. It was the equalizer. So that shit was the American dream that people could have access to something and be able to use that to better themselves. So you're saying that, okay, we don't want you to actually have like resources or access to, uh, to, fair working conditions and wages within your community if you can't access it oh well tough shit and we don't also want you to be able to have access to fair housing and and things of that nature but we also don't want you to have like fair access to education so you can get out of the situation you're in and also by the way the depressed resources and lack of resources causes this whole type of over policing and all these other all these other things but at the same time we'll pull pull you up by the bootstraps so which ones are going to be you know what I'm saying? Like at the end of the day, man, like let these let these kids get their education, man. Like give them the actual resources that they need. I mean, that's honestly gonna be like one of the best ways to actually start turning the shit around. So social workers, I, I think it's cool. I also think it'd be good to maybe like put kids in a position where they can actually like, you know, in a certain way police themselves as a community. Like, yo, something happened in the school, let them come together as a school and decide like what should they like how bad was this? And what's the standard for this? Like, is this something that's acceptable? You know, here both sides like have like like a tribunal. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, let them come come before their their, their classmates or whatever. Like, okay, how would this be better? Because we need to have these kids thinking more critically, and I think that's one way to do it. So, yeah. Well, I, I totally agree. I I like the idea of community courts and community order or oriented solutions, and really, I mean, communities that met out their own punishment, you know what I'm saying? Not corporal, but something that is actually constructive and, you know, helps, you know, change a behavior, teach a lesson, you know, maybe teach a little compassion and some empathy. And then also that we can be asking what are the underlying supports that need to be put in place to prevent this from happening again? Because, you know, the thing that we should be asking ourselves when children behave badly is not, you know, and when I mean badly, I don't mean kids being kids because, you know, that that's another conversation for another day. But I mean, when children actually behave badly, the question we need to be asking ourselves is how fucked up are the adults in charge of that kid? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what can we do to support them so that this kid is, you know what I'm saying, behaving better and less fucked up as an adult? And sometimes the adults can't, as somebody who's, you've been a social worker, so you've dealt with it. Um, I, I taught high school for a couple of years. Let me tell you, sometimes the adults are the worst actors in the, in the equation. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're always the worst actors. Not always. There, there are times, you know, there are times where you like, you know, but I mean, again, the adults set the example by what they're willing to accept and tolerate and allow and the kids find a way to work within that structure. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I get that. But, you know, I, I give an example. So uh, my first year teaching, um, I was fresh out of college. There are a lot of things I didn't know. So I used a lot of the things that I did not know and that I picked up over my first year and implemented that in the second year. So what I did was I took the idea of having a syllabus like I did in college. And anybody who's done like college coursework or maybe even like better high schools, you'll have a syllabus that it tells you from the beginning of the year what your final project is going to be. And it tells you what your requirements are for supplies and all that stuff or whatever. And on top of that, it's like, okay, take this home to your parents, get it signed, and you get credit for that. You need this one thing, though. You have to have this for class. And the parents signed off on it. And then the parent waited for their child to fail three and a half quarters before they came back and said, I don't know why my child is failing. I said, well, they have something that they're not, they don't have something that's supposed to be 50% of their grade. They're supposed to have this entire time. They don't have it. And you signed off on it. You knew about it according to what you signed off on. That's your signature, right? And like, yeah, but I didn't know. Like, what can we want me to tell you? Ignorance is no excuse for the law. Yeah, what do you want me to tell you? Fix you signed it. off. Yeah, you signed off Fix on it. it, yo. And it's like, like, why are you coming at that? Why are you coming in after three quarters of seeing your child fail? Why are you coming in after three quarters asking this question? Because not the child is incapable. She was a very capable and bright girl. She wasn't necessarily applying herself, but she mm-hmm. was capable. But that's neither here nor there. Just an example. Okay. Yeah. So I actually want to switch gears because we've had a lot of heavy conversation. Uh, and I need to I need to just tickle my rib bone just a little bit. Did anybody get a chance to see the whole Michelle Wolf White House Correspondents Association? Uh, I don't like her voice. Her no, voice, her voice is kind of annoying. I will say that's very nasally and high pitch and register. But she she yeah. has, some, she has she has some gems though. I heard a I little bit of seen it. it, and I tried to look for it online. Like it's all over YouTube. Day. Well, I tried to find it like the very next morning, and mm-hmm. I couldn't find it. And I just figured that it probably did need time. But then, you know, my life was happening. So yeah, I mean, honestly, I didn't hear about it until this morning because I just this this I was kind of disconnected this weekend from pretty much everything except for like family and friends. I hung out a couple times, but. Um, Going into work, I heard like uh, talk radio. Everybody was talking about it. So let me see what they're talking about. Mm. And she went in. I mean, she went in on everybody. Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the the dope thing about that was Sarah Huckabee Sanders was like within eye contact, like right up on the yeah. She was with her. the representative. Yeah, yeah. So but she's you like, know yeah. what? She should be embarrassed. Cool. Like she should really be embarrassed. Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Oh. Like I don't think she, she has shame. Not going to look kindly on her at all, at all. And I don't even mean like far history. I mean like once the motherfuckers get out of office, like the documentaries that will come out and the shit that people will say about her because like the conviction with which she stands up there mm-hmm. and lies, like at least showing Spicer had the decency to be flustered. That bitch be telling lies with the straightest of faces, and she be indignant about people calling her on that mm-hmm. shit, Man. like. Yeah, and you, you know, know she got called the on. Truth. Like, yeah, she got called on it, and uh, so I, I'm not gonna Maybe like murder the joke. It. Maybe it's lies. But one of my favorite joint, yeah, <laughs> one, one of my favorite joints though, and I'm not gonna murder the joke because like she's a comedian, she delivered it. But um, she was saying something to the effect that Sarah Huckabee Sanders. I know this. It was funny because she was there. That made it funnier. So like, if you can say that shit to the person's face, I'm not mad at you. But she said something to the effect. Of Sarah Huckabee Sanders looked like the nanny from uh, uh, The Handmaid's Tale. 
the aunt mm. from the handmaid. The aunt, yeah. man, the aunt from the handmaid's tale. Mm-hmm. And everybody started laughing. And then what made it funny, she followed it up with this. She said, Yeah, um, uh, Mike Pence, it's a lovely show if you haven't seen it. You would love it. <laughs> so I was, I was like, Yeah, 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 yeah. She was you, she was fine wrong. She went out, she went after Megan um um Megan Kelly. But yo, she also got uh Sarah Huckabee Sanders. She said, What do you call a um um a white woman who's disappointing to other white men women? She's like Ann Coulter. No, but she said, like, she called her basically a white Uncle Tom. Yeah. <laughs> she said, what do you call a white Uncle Tom who's disappointed to women? Like, you know, she's like, oh, I know. Aunt, aunt, um, Auntie Coulter. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. She was going in. It, 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 it was well worth the watch. I tried, but again, her voice is just. It was. It was. I was like, this is going to be the whole thing. That, I think that's her actual voice. I think that's. Yeah. And then they had some mic problems, too. But, you know, there's some. She made a fat joke about. Uh, my coworker pointed this out. She made a fat joke about Mike Huckabee. It was kind of like like a subtle dig, and then like t- ten seconds later, they showed him eating ice cream. <laughs> was, well yeah. played, cameraman. Yeah, exactly. Fat jokes, exactly. Huh? We shouldn't be making fat jokes. I mean, it's Chris Christie. Like, come on, it's Chris Christie. So I, fucking weird. Uh. Yeah, I mean, like you know, yeah, I get what you're saying. We shouldn't be making fat jokes. I get it, but like you know, Chris Christie, you like you know. It, it's it's Chris Christie. We we know the dude is overweight. Like, so you know. Finally, someone has decided. <laughs> Transitioning that fast. Hashtag mute R. Kelly. Uh, oh, so not gonna press some charges. Nah, I hope so. Boy, we need a boycott that's gonna stick. We ho- hopefully we can get boycott. a boycott that's gonna stick. Because you know it's it's. I'm going to venture to say that there are at least a million women in this country, black women, who have been boycotting R. Kelly for some I time. Think, I think black women like have been the ones that have been propping him up. We have programmed our Spotify's and our Slackers and our Pandora's to not even suggest that we listen to R. Kelly because we are so offended by that shit. I just, you know, so 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 what is it? Please? I feel like I feel like I feel like um black women have actually been his, have. his biggest apologists. I'm gonna be real with you. I remember like when the the tape broke because it was a tape at that time. <laughs> when the tape broke and it came out there, there, there are women like, ah, oh, that couldn't have been him because I seen him in a live show and his thing bigger than that. That couldn't have been R. Kelly. Like, that, that was R. Kelly. <laughs> that was R. Kelly. I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing at the willful ignorance. Uh, that was oh, R. Kelly. No. I think that there's a whole lot of black women who cape for him. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? But I know that there's a whole lot of black women who are just disgusted by him. I get it. But those black women who cape for him must be keeping his pockets healthy because they're like, yeah, like, how can, I tri- huh? how can I contribute to this cause? I don't really support him, but how can I contribute? I don't either, but it looks like um, Time's Up is finally like. Aiming moving towards like they put a thing up they did an open oh. letter like women of color we see you we we stand with you because we are you oh. this person is a problem we ask that oh. RCA drops him from the label Ooh, we wow. ask that Spotify and Apple Music get rid wow. of his music we ask that Ticketmaster stop selling tickets to his shows he has a show coming up May 11th in Greensboro North Carolina we out. ask that you uh, you know not sell these tickets We and it was one more I can't remember the last one. Live Nation, maybe? No, it was Ticketmaster. Was out. There was another another little caveat there, but they were okay. like, you know, yeah, time's up. Hashtag mute R. Kelly. We stand with you. Wow. And I know oh, his oh. Um, publicist and 
I think like his attorney, like three people from his camp um, resigned within the last 24 hours. Yeah, because those films don't play and they got real fucking power. So, yeah, it's know, not just like, thing. you know, Takia saying like mute R. Kelly. No, it's, it's time's up That's saying like. thing though. He like apparently he also has a, a very strong camp to insulate him. Because it feels like like when people run afoul or speak about R. Kelly, then people start getting phone calls. I don't know if you heard the whole thing with Vince Staples, because Christy, I know that's your man over there. Did you no, have Vince Staples? Oh, Vince Staples had this like this thing where he went in like just randomly on R. Kelly. And like it because like first of all, ladies and gentlemen, if you're not aware of the awesomeness of a Vince Staples interview, uh, you know, if you don't mind a little bit of profanity in there, like that, that, that gentleman is very interesting to listen to because he's very unfiltered and I appreciate that about him. Uh, he's very honest and open about things, but he's also very insightful, especially for somebody so young. But essentially, he was saying to this this young lady who was very uncomfortable about <laughs> I'm sorry about the way he was talking. He was he was saying, um, you know, I can't wait till I get off of probation because I'm. He said I'm going to act a, a total fool, or whatever. And she said, Yeah, hey, we need you. And he said, He said I'll be fine. He said, Got all these people out here. He said, Got R. Kelly. He ain't been tried yet, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she started trying to, like, you know, like, be, like, politically correct. He said and he was not having any parts of it. When I tell you he went fully in on it, and it wasn't even a long thing, but it was very direct. It was, like, more direct than I'm going to piss on you by Dave Chappelle. I mean, just what comes up in the Google searches, he called him a child molester and a piece of fucking shit. So, I mean, I, mean, you I know, don't see any lies, no though. Yeah, so he went in pretty hard, and apparently, like, there's a tweet from Ben Staples within 24 hours saying that uh, there were some people from R. Kelly's camp who were not too happy. Uh, I think Dave Chappelle had a similar thing with uh, R. Kelly after he did the the, the spoof on Chappelle's show. So I, th- I think he probably has one of those camps. And R. Kelly just seemed, just in the interview, he was, it was very, I forget what it was. It was where, where's uh, Mark Lamont Hill? I know. I think I know what it was. It the hill. I, I'm not sure, but I think I it know the interview. And that's sending a weird and awkward interview. I'm like, you very dismissive and weird, sir. Yeah, you're you're like you know ah you know and then gets up and leaves in a huff. I, it's just yeah. I don't. I I feel like he's been insulated and he his insulation and the people around him that I guess get stuff I'm sure from they're, him. I'm sure they're benefiting in yeah, yeah, yeah. one yeah. way or another. I, I feel like uh, that allows him to to feel more justified and, and comfortable doing what he does. But Time's up. I mean, Jerry Sandusky felt comfortable to the day he went to jail. So, you know. Hey, man, Joe Paterno enabled it. And, and and that's what it comes down that's to. Like we have these do. people who, yeah, we have these people who enable because Joe Sandusky was a talented coach. R. Kelly is a talented musician. Bill Cosby's a talented comedian. Um, I, I, that fool just put some. He put like a clip of some music up on Instagram like a couple of weeks ago. Who R. Kelly? Oh, I was like, I know who will never yeah. hear it. I've been anti R. Kelly for a long time. I will acknowledge that I think he's a talented producer. Uh, and I think he's a good singer, but I don't think that excuses you from being a terrible lyricist. He's also he, a pedophile. Yeah, there's that too. But like before I knew, well, I mean, well, we knew about the Leah rapist. thing. I thought the Leah thing, even back then, I was like, maybe it's just, but now it's a real thing. I did math back then and I was like, this don't yeah. add up. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. But I remember but back then, because like to me, like that was actually some of the stuff I was seeing at school. So I remember in high school, and I think we've had this conversation too, so uh, I'll, I'll keep this very brief. But I remember being in 10th and 11th grade and a lot of my peers in 10th and 11th grade were air quotes, 
dating dudes that were 23, 24, 25 years old, like my boyfriend, blah, 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 so forth and so on. And I was just like irritated, like, yo, that's not your dude. I'm thinking to myself, because you can't tell him nothing. But like, yo, that's not your dude. Like, like what? Like, in my mind, I know this is what I'm thinking. Like, yo, you don't even know how to take care of your, 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 your stuff yet. I'm not sure for my age. Yeah, 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 yeah. You I'm not, not young. You like, I'm not to... young-minded like all these other girls. Yeah. I've had this a... conversation several times with some foster kids. Like, why are you 16 dating a 30-year-old? Because, I mean, I'm mature. Like, what the fuck y'all got in common? So, I was a 17-year-old nice. freshman. And I told him I wouldn't even say I was dating. I went to dinner with this dude. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was... I was with arm candy. I knew what it was. Um, and he totally had a moment because I was so excited. He's like, oh, my birthday's coming. He's like, oh, cool. How's you going to be? I was like 18. And nigga like spit his drink out. <laughs> what the fuck? Because he was 25. I was like, I, it's, it's cool. Like, I, I understand. Like, but I, I am in college. But, but so, I mean, to me, I was like, well, I'm, I'm in college. I didn't really see what the big deal was. But he was like, nah. nah. He kept going out, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? But I never had sex with him and then after that he really wasn't trying to touch me. But I was cute, you know what I'm saying? I'm not I'm I'm not I I would attest to that you were cute then, yes. You were. Yeah. You were. At the time she was cute. I'm not saying she's not cute now, I'm just saying, but yeah, she was cute. It's all right. I remember where I was when I met Chris. You said do you remember where you were? I remember where I was when I met Chris. Really? Yeah. Drew Hall. Really? Yep. This is the part of the show that's not going to air. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, <laughs> in my defense, I mean, like a lot of my memories are cloudy. I get it. I know why. <laughs> I was there for a couple of them. <laughs> yeah, it was all blur. Back in those days when I did those things. But I was just, I mean, but not even just that. I was just moving too fast. I, I like, Weren't we all in somewhere? Yeah, sometimes I look back and I'll just be like, how did I get all that done in a day? Like, I mean, that's what college was, though. Learning how to find your pace. You know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, like, honestly, I was a sheltered kid, like, going to, like, Howard. There's a lot of things I was not allowed to do and I knew I wasn't supposed to do. And, like, got to college, like, oh, well, you know, you're supposed to. out! A little bit. I wasn't crazy with it. With a car, I might do three things in a day and consider myself very productive. Without a car, at oh, like I was king of the subway. Oh, so I fucking not just took the subway, walked. Yeah, there's that. Lots of places. Walked. You know what I'm saying in I one day. Take the bus like that, but yeah, I used to take the yes. subway. And I used to, yeah, yeah, I used to, get, yeah. But it just be like you went here, went there, did this, did that. You'd be like in 24 hours. Good lord, mm-hmm. what were we doing? Yeah. You know, a study just recently said that small children are stronger and in better shape um, than adults. I believe it. Which makes sense because they're, they're, they're spending all that energy really on growing. They get naps. But you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right, right, right. You know, but like, I mean. People care about their nutrition. And also, because I care about my nutrition, we're going to put a bow on this so I can go get some dinner. I know, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> she been rapping for the last 10 minutes. Like, hey, so on that note, hey, one more thing. <laughs> so thank you all for joining us Indeed. for another episode of Shit You Might Have Missed on Flash Black Radio. Boom, boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. T. Rich. Da Vinci Parks, a.k.a. Lee Bennett III. K. Savage. 
And uh, just as a reminder, I will keep this brief this time. Just remember mm-hmm. to check us out on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Also, check us out on flashblackradio.com. And, uh, you know, if you want to listen to the podcast there, you can listen to iTunes, SoundCloud, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Subscribe and share. Please do. Like, share a lot. And rate or something. Yeah, do yeah. that. Till Bye, next children. Time. Stay blessed, stay woke. One. <laughs>